great to be here again. I don't know how many of you were here last summer, but I had the privilege of being here, and it is so good to be back. And I bring you greetings from your pastor, John, and Kathy and their family. We actually saw them two days before we came out here and traded 30 degrees. So it's great to be here in Austin. I also want to extend a special welcome to the Branson and the South Campus. And South Campus, you will have an opportunity to see me live, which you may want to wait till the end of the sermon till you decide whether you want to bring a friend tonight. But I would love to see you and meet you. It is so good to be here. But I have always felt this about church, and maybe you guys can relate, that church is a little bit like Facebook in that everyone around you looks more together and more perfect than they actually are. It's true. And, uh, and the fact is you look that way to them. You know, when I was single, I used to come to church and I would see all the families, and I would see all these cute little kids, and I'd be like, Lord, if only I could be like them. Well, now that I'm married and have actually raised a child, I know that they were looking at me (laughs) and saying, Lord, if only I could have one day like her. And this is what we do. We see partial truths of each other's lives, And very honestly, some of us looking at social media, we think, I would like to have that life. But we don't get that choice, do we? We get the life we have. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you here today that we do have a choice with how we live it. And how we live our God-given life largely has to do with the way we see it. You know, when I was new at my church in Santa Barbara, I got to preach pretty quickly after I got there. The pastor wanted me to get to know the people, much like you're getting to know Justin. And so I was speaking on contentment, and I decided to give them a soundbite of my life. So I said, you know, I got up this morning, and I was all alone. I have no husband, no kids. There's actually a a for sale sign out in front So I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to stay in my place much longer. If it sells, I'm going to have to find something else. And you know, very honestly, dating at my age is kind of complicated because everybody has baggage. It's just a matter of choosing what kind of luggage you want to live with. And I'm going to be really honest, working at a church can be very painful for a single person because you see families and hear babies crying everywhere <laughs> you go. And, and you feel your singleness all the time. Well, I stopped and everybody was just staring at me, much like you're staring at me now. And I looked over and the pastor was staring at me with a look of wonderment, not the good kind. And I didn't say anything. I just started again. I said, you know what, I got up this morning and I had the place to myself. It was quiet and I could do whatever I wanted. The for sale sign is still there, so I'm gonna be here another month. And if it sells, maybe I'll find something even better. And you know what, dating at my age is so much better because you really know yourself more. 
You also have a lot more grace for the people around you because you realize that life is complicated. And my job working at a church is such a gift. How wonderful it is to have a family where you work when you don't have one at home. Well, Gateway, I could have stopped my sermon right there because that was the only part of the talk people remembered. And you know, it's been 10 years and a lot of life since I gave that sermon and there are actually people who still remember it. And I realized that morning the importance of perspective and how it resonates with each one of us. The way we see our life matters. Now, this isn't just a self-help concept. This is actually a very biblical concept because we see the importance of perspective throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, we see it in Paul, who was sitting in prison when he wrote many of his letters. Matter of fact, the book of Philippians is known as the Be Happy book, and he was in prison for the entire time he wrote that letter. And do you know that in that letter, he said these words. He said, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, let me comfort you. What has happened to me here has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I I read that line and I'm going, Paul, buddy, I think you need a reality pill. You're sitting in prison with a prison guard who looks like Attila the Hun, and that is it. And you're saying that what's happened to you has served to advance the gospel? but it was the way Paul saw his circumstances. See, he knew that because he was in prison, other people were being moved to speak about Jesus Christ. What he didn't know is that he looked at his circumstances and he said, what can I do here in jail? You know what, I think I'll write some letters. I think I'll write some letters to encourage believers What Paul couldn't have possibly known is that those letters are what millions upon millions of people have read in what we call the Bible today. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Paul saw his life that way, then he lived it that way, and we today are benefiting from it. Perspective matters. Well, we don't just see it in the New Testament, we see it in the Old Testament too. The story of Esther. By the way, with Wonder Woman out, Esther is a great book to read. Esther was the original Wonder Woman. And let me tell you something, she was a Jewish orphan who wasn't even raised by her parents. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai. But Esther also happened to be very, very beautiful. And so she got swept up in this contest because the king was going to choose a new queen and decided to get all the beautiful maidens all over the land to come to the palace and parade before him so that he could select one. It was actually the first recorded version of The Bachelor. You probably didn't know that. (laughs) And so this king ended up, of all the beautiful maidens, picking Esther. So now this Jewish orphan finds herself queen. Now you would think the story ends there, that's where the movie ends, right? But that is where the story began for Esther. Because as she's there, she becomes aware of a plot that this very evil man who has the king's ear has developed to exterminate the Jews. He doesn't like that they don't bow before the king because they only bow before God. 
And so he gets this king to, to sign this edict and Mordecai finds out and starts fasting and praying at the gate. And Esther goes to him and says, what's going on? And he says, you are the only one who can do something about this. And then he says this, most famous verse throughout the whole book. He says, and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, you didn't make yourself beautiful. You didn't control what happened to make you queen, but you're there now. And who knows that your whole life is because you're supposed to do something about this edict. So suddenly Esther pulls back on her life and she gets the big view. And that is where we start by getting a perspective on our life. I have a quote that says, with eyes of faith, we see our life as a much bigger story. And this is what got me going on the themes that are in my new book. I started thinking about how the way we see, as believers, as non-believers, the way we see our lives matters. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time is I want to look at Psalm 143. If you happen to have a Bible or brought one, you can turn to it, but we'll have the scripture right on the screen. Because we see here that David too, who was the writer of the Psalm, David understood the importance of perspective. And as he walks through this Psalm, he walks through the different lenses that I have included in my new book. Four lenses that help us see our life the way God sees our life. Four lenses that help us get a better perspective on our life. Because how we see our life affects the way we, we respond to our life. And how we respond to our life makes a difference in what happens. That's where I got the title. When changing nothing about your circumstances changes everything because of your response to your circumstances. So let's begin, and we'll start with verse one. One of the things that we realize, and David happened to be in a season that he really, you can tell by reading the psalm, would prefer not to have been in. And we are there sometimes. We get the big view of our lives, but I'm sure Esther, even when she found that out, she's like, I don't want to be here. I didn't sign up for this. Well, I wonder how many of you have felt that in your life when something has happened. My goodness, your dear pastor on Friday night is entering a chapter that I'm sure he would prefer not to live. And clearly, that is where David is when he starts this psalm. So we'll start reading it right here. Verse 1. Here's how David begins. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart is dismayed. The first point I want to share with you this morning is you don't have to be afraid to be honest with God. Certainly David's not. I think sometimes we feel that as Christians. Oh God, you know, everything's going to be okay. I'll handle it. Or we get into holy talk when we speak to God. Do you know that in the Hebrew, all of these verses are translated with three words. Lord, this sucks. Well, not exactly, but it's true. David is actually pouring his heart out to God. He's saying, Lord, gosh, 
My enemy is pursuing me. My heart is dismayed. I'm feeling discouraged. He is not afraid to be honest with God, and you don't have to be either. God already knows. He knows when you're in a difficult chapter. And the other thing is that we don't have to be afraid to be honest with each other. I feel like we feel that at church. Someone asks you how you are, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Well, maybe you're not doing okay. What would it be like if you actually told someone how you were doing? Now, maybe it's not always appropriate, you know. <laughs> but, but the truth is, I think we need to be honest as brothers and sisters and recognize that God can handle it. And that's why the body is here. Well, many of you know from what I shared last summer that I went through a long and difficult season in my life, and it had to do with singleness. I was single a lot longer than I wanted to be. I wasn't the ring by spring gal at 20s, you know, but I, or like early 20s, but I thought by 25, I'm going to meet my guy. Well, 25 came and went, and then 30 hit, and I began to pray a little bit louder. And I also started recruiting other people in this prayer. Well, when 40 hit, I began to suspect that God was deaf. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You've been praying so long for something, you're going, is he even hearing me? Well, at 42, I finally got engaged. And I have to tell you, the hallelujah chorus broke out. And I promptly had my two bridal showers, and I, ha I bought my wedding dress, most beautiful dress you've ever seen, and then my fiancé got deployed. He was going to be gone for nine months. We contemplated the shotgun wedding, but wisely decided to wait. I thought, I've been waiting this long, I can wait another year. So another year came and went, 43. And unbeknownst to me, while he was away, his ex-wife began to write him and was actually having second thoughts about their divorce. And so when he came home, we actually broke up and they remarried, which I always say is a great story when you're not the girl engaged to the guy. <laughs> and people said, well, isn't it great that God used you to bring them back together? <laughs> I hope you have the same experience someday. <laughs> and I have to say, it was great. Brothers and sisters, it was great. My parents are divorced, and there is so much complication in divorce. I would have loved for my parents to reconcile. Reconciliation is God's best. It was a great story. It just wasn't great for me. And I don't know if you've ever felt that in your life. Why do things go so well for everybody else? Why me? But I have to tell you, it was a spiritual crisis for me. Because I was not just serving God in the local church, I was speaking all over the place and encouraging believers. And I said to the Lord, I can't tell my story. If I tell my story, people are gonna walk away from you. Well, if that's what it's like to follow God, I, I don't think so. And I clearly heard the Spirit of God whisper to me, don't you feel like you need to defend me, little girl? You just tell your story, and you watch what I do. And you know, I developed at that point in my story what I call the middle of the story theology, and I believe this is so important as believers, because so often we're in the middle of the story and we think it's the end. Some of you are here today and something terrible has happened and you think you're at the end of the story. Well, guess what? You're not at the end. You're not at the end. 
Because five years later, at the ripe young age of 49 years old, I crossed the altar, ladies and gentlemen. It's true. And, and, you know, last year you got to see him on video, but this year I brought him live and he's sitting right there. So stand up, babe. (laughs) He really fits better in Austin. He's a total cowboy and I hope you guys will come and meet him. But the truth was, I wasn't at the end of my story. I didn't know that God had that for me. But what I learned to say right in the middle of the story, as I told it, before I knew what was ahead. I would tell my story and people would just be looking at me. And then I would end it with this. I said, and you know what? My God isn't through with my story. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's a good God and I know he's out for my best and I know he has a plan for my life and I am holding on till the end of the story. And I want to tell you something. I don't know why we wait till the end when the bow's all tied on our testimony and we have the husband standing up to give our testimony. We need to be telling our testimony in the middle of the story because when you are holding on to God and you don't know what he's going to do, that is a testimony. If you're in the middle of the story and you just showed up at church today, maybe barely, barely showed up because you are right about ready to give up on God, let me congratulate you. You are living the life that God longs for us to live. He doesn't want to be Santa Claus God. He wants to be the living God. And he wants to know, are you willing to follow him no matter what? Because this life isn't even the end of the story. This life is just this much of the story. And we get a chance to live it well, but you know what, we're all gonna die. I've read the statistics, 10 out of 10 die. (laughs) It's true, it's just timing. And so I wanna ask you, how are you going to live? And maybe some of you today need to hear your story isn't over, so will you just turn to your neighbor and say, your story isn't over. Your story's not over. Because if you got up and you're still breathing, you're not done. You're here for a reason. So you hold on, but you be honest with God. You be honest with the people around you because we are the family of God and we are here to support each other in all times. So that's how David begins. He goes on to say in verse five, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Now, why would David do that? I have a quote in my book. In order to see our way forward, we sometimes have to look backward. This is the rear view lens in my book. Such an important lens. Because sometimes we have to look back on what God has done to give us courage for what is ahead. Because sometimes we don't see what God is doing. We don't understand why someone's suffering. We don't understand why things are happening in the world. But we can look back and we can remember what God did and that can hold us in times where we're not sure where we're going or what's happening. Let me tell you something, the Israelites did this. 
they had a practice of with stones. They would just pile these stones. And if any of you have been to Israel, you know this is true. They were stone altars. And they would build these stone altars when God did something in that place. And so that every time the Israelites would walk, which they did all the time, they would walk by a pile of stones. They would know that God had done something there. And that encouraged their walk with God. That encouraged their faith. Well, what are your stones? What are your stones? Maybe they're not actual piles of rocks in your house. I mean, you could go that direction, but you could also go the direction of journals, of music, of art, whatever it is for you. You remember your stories. God wants you to remember just like he wanted the Israelites to remember because when they didn't remember, they lost their way. That's what happened when they crossed the Red Sea. They were singing about it, they were talking about it, and then all of a sudden they stopped. And it was like a game of telephone. And pretty soon they were going, you know what? Gosh, it was pretty good back in Egypt. They forgot that they were slaves. They were like, gosh, we ate great food. We're not eating such great food now. Moses, why did you bring us out here? They totally forgot what God had done. We do too. We do too. And the other reason why we have to look back is that we have to recognize that sometimes our stories get reinterpreted with time. It's true. And we have to remember what happened after because maybe something difficult happened to you. It wasn't something you want to remember, but you remember what God did with that difficulty. He did something in you or he did something through you in the life of another believer or he prepared you for something. I remember when I was speaking, uh, this was actually before my engagement, and I was out in New Jersey, and I was speaking to a group of youth workers, about 500 of them, and during the break, I would always just hide back in the office and stop talking, because I was literally talking all day. So everybody went to lunch, and I was like, now's my chance, and there was one woman who stayed behind. She was a beautiful African-American woman. She came up to me. She said, you know, I just wanted to go to lunch and mind my own business, but the Lord wouldn't let me. Well, now she had my attention. <laughs> she came up to me and she took my hand and she said these words. The Lord is going to bring you a husband. Now, let me just pause right here. I was actually a youth pastor in a Presbyterian church at that time. We did not have prophecies in the Presbyterian Church. We had meetings about prophecies and when they occurred. So this was, an, it was a totally foreign experience to me. She's looking at me. I wasn't even talking about being single or being married. She's speaking the desire of my heart. She said, the Lord is going to bring you a husband. And he will love you as Christ loves the church. And he will take your head to his chest. And he will protect you. And he will be a support to your ministry. I gotta tell you, tears were streaming down my face when she left. I never knew her name. I never saw her again. Four months later, I met the person who would become my fiance. Four months after that, we got engaged. A year and a half later, when we broke up, I wanted to call the lady from New Jersey. <laughs> You know, there were a few things you left out of your prophecy that I'd like to talk to you about. But the truth is, as time passed, I realized her prophecy actually did come true. But it was only after it didn't come true. And all the stuff in between was the most important stuff of all because that is so often where we live 
in the confusion and in the darkness and in not understanding exactly what God is doing because I call him the rearview mirror God. We hardly ever know what God is doing when he's doing it. But when we look back, we can see the rearview lens. So where does David go next? Verse 8. Here's what he says. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. I have a quote from my new book that says this, rest in what is. It is part of taking you to what will be. This is the present view lens. This is the lens in which we live. David has now looked back, but he's back to where he is. And brothers and sisters, we need to be where we are. You know, I know as I look out on this crowd that some of you are thinking about what just happened. Maybe you got in a fight with your spouse on the way here. Maybe you're wondering what your kids are doing. Maybe some of you are thinking about what's ahead. Where are we going to lunch? I'm starving right now. I hope she'll finish soon. Whatever it is. So often we're living in the past or the future and God is saying, please be here now because I am the great I am. That's right. That's how he introduces himself to Moses. Sounds like he's speaking in the wrong tense. Moses says, well, how will I tell Pharaoh who sent me when I'm doing all these crazy things? And God says, tell him I am sent you. It does. It sounds like he's talking in the wrong tense. The fact is, God did not say I was. I will be. Even though both those things are true, he says, I am because I am always in the now. I am beyond time. So I am with you where you are. And if you're not there, then you're somewhere without him. And that's where we go with our minds, don't we? That's why we stress about the future. Because we're going there in our minds without God. God will be there when you get there, but he's with you right now. And he leads you one step at a time. That's what David says. One door at a time, just lead my steps. God is much more like a GPS than he is like a map. He doesn't show you the whole plan. He just shows you where to go next. And let me offer something else. Sometimes we are so focused on a door that we want to see open that we're missing the door that is opening. Maybe you want something in your life. For me, it was marriage. Maybe for you, it's something else. And you're just waiting for that to happen. And you're missing what's happening around you right now. I don't know why God has you where you are right now. But there's always a reason. He's always doing something. I have to tell you, a few months after my life fell apart, my engagement fell apart, and I'm back in the apartment I thought I was moving out of. And I, I literally felt lost. And I got this random call from a pastor in Santa Barbara. I was living in Orange County, and I was speaking and writing, and I wasn't really looking for a job, but he said, Lori Polich, how are you? I heard you got married. I'm like, nope. <laughs> oh, sorry. He goes, well, you know what? We were praying about this new position at our church, and your name came up. I don't know if you're even open to checking it out. Well, I have to tell you that I heard my name and prayer in the same sentence, and I wasn't looking for a job, but I thought, this is too weird. The timing is too weird. Brothers and sisters, you need to pay attention to that. 
Maybe something that you're not looking for is happening right now. But if God is leading your life and not just following you and blessing you as you live, if God is leading your life, you pay attention to those nudges. Because here's what happened. I went up to Santa Barbara. I fell in love with the church. And three years later, I met the man who has been an incredible gift to my life. So sometimes one door can lead to another door that leads to another door that actually may lead to the door you're looking for. It's just a different route. It's just a different route. And you need to follow God who is the I am leading you in the present. Well, where does David end? David ends with one more lens. And that's what I call the higher view lens. Here's what he says. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy my foes. For, and let's say it together, I am your servant. What an interesting choice of words. I began this morning by talking about how we look at other lives and sometimes want them. But God has given us our one and only life. And you are the only you that will ever be on this planet. I have a picture up on the screen of a man who is a great friend of ours, goes to our church, a man named Chris, and he has cerebral palsy. And he lives the higher view lens with the body he was given and the voice he was given and the circumstances he was given. I'm going to invite him to tell his story right now. So let's watch. I have cerebral palsy. My at-grass joint was zero. That means I was clearly dead when I was born. I weighed three pounds, one ounce. And my mom had a cranial aneurysm, and, you, and she died from that. And then my dad took me home. He couldn't take care of me for obvious reasons and sent me down to live with my grandparents. I lived with them for about 20 years until I moved out. My aunt came into church for the first time. When, when I thought in church, I thought of choir music. And, and you know, when I got there, it was a small rock band. And I said, yeah, I can deal with this. So one thing led to another. I met Christ, and it changed my life. God has given me new eyes, even though I have a disability. And what I'm able to do with my abilities. Because in the opportunities, God has laid out in front of me. 
I've been able to DJ. I've been able to do public speaking. I, I just landed a job at a new science museum. I've done several half marathons, one for the school for people with disabilities in, in Nicaragua. Jesus says, in their weakness, they are made strong. If I encounter a step that I can't go over, do I get frustrated? You get that. If I didn't have help, I couldn't do what I do. It's because of God's blessing that I'm able to do that. Jesus said that all these things are just temporary. These that are unseen are eternal. And he said, when we die, we don't die, we just change one. That's what I'm really looking forward to. What I can't do now, I will be able to do it then and forever. Brothers and sisters, if a man like that can take the life that he was given and live it that way, can you? Can you? Chris was the DJ at my wedding. His life is so beautiful. But I would venture to say that every day he gets up and says, wow, I wish I could have an able body. I wish that the incredible mind that I have could communicate out of my mouth the way it's actually formulating up here. I don't get those things right now, but I will one day in glory with Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, and in the meantime, what has happened to me now has actually served to advance the gospel. Because when we look at a man like that, living the life he's living, we realize that's a testimony. So you take your difficulty and you call upon God in your honesty and you allow him to help you live that difficulty and you live in hope that you have a good God and your circumstances can change at any moment and one day you will be with him in glory and so you can live the life that God has given you however many days you have and whatever season you're in, God is calling you to see it differently so that you can live it differently. And now I want to pray for you. So would you bow your head? I want to invite you to just put your hands in your lap. Palms up. God, here we are with the one and only life that you have given us. We didn't get to choose 
the parents we were born to. We didn't get to choose the color of our skin. We didn't get to choose the economic condition where we were born, the place in the world where we were born, the opportunities that many of us were handed or not handed, but God, we have a choice how to live this life. And the higher view says that we are part of a bigger story. It's a story where we're not the center. It's your story. And we're part of what you're doing here in this world. And so I would ask as we have our palms up that we receive the power that comes from you to live this one and only God-given life. God, give us the courage. Give us the courage. And help us know we're not alone. Thank you.